such a strange church. This is, this is, I, I've, I've been an interim pastor at a lot of churches, five churches, and I've assistant pastored two churches. And uh, this is my first time I've ever started up a church, but this is really weird. The rule of thumb is always to expect your church attendance to increase twofold during the holiday season. And so we just reversed that, and, and, and we, we decided to go in half during the holiday season. It's, why is it every time I come to church, uh, you know, on one of the holidays, I feel like I just missed the rapture or something. You know, it's like, well, the Lord came back yesterday, and I wish we'd all been ready. <laughs> we should just title these services, The Remnant of Woodland Hills. You know, the, and all the beasts will come and we'll have to take the mark or whatnot. Well, anyways, I, I hope you all had a, a, a nice Christmas. Um, and I uh, hope it wasn't terrible. Hope you, hope you got some nice Christmas cards. I, I have one that I just have to share with you. Uh, it, it, it came in the mail. I, I, first of all, you have to understand, I've had a, I've had a hard year uh, in terms of getting bad mail. Um, I, I, I was thinking of some theological problem or something when I did my tax returns. And uh, uh, the result was I sent both my state and federal income tax to the federal tax thing. I, I've sent most of it. I sent a couple pieces to the state. I don't know what I was doing, but it's been all screwed up, and I've been getting very harassing you know, notices in the mail uh, about how I still owe them a couple thousand dollars and whatnot. It's just been a nightmare. Well, I, I, a couple days ago, just before Christmas, get a letter in the mail that said uh, it's from some collection agency, and it was one of these official-looking things with a bold uh, third notice on it. And my heart starts beating, you know, I'm getting all nervous, I'm getting kind of sweaty. It's like, oh no, not during Christmas time, oh Lord, what did I do now? And I open it, and there's a nice little Christmas letter from Paul Mitten. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, Merry Christmas, this isn't a collection letter. That wasn't funny. (laughs) If he'd been around there, he'd be walking with a limp right now. Worse than he usually does. Anyways, okay. This morning, I, I want to finish up our, uh, our uh, series on, on peace. I hope you don't mind my dollar uh, uh, twenty-five uh, garage sale sweater. I, I had no intention of wearing this. It's missing most of the buttons, but it, it was so cold in here. This is, this is brutal. And so I, I felt I, I had to put something on. So uh, hopefully we'll warm this place up for the next service so I won't have to wear this piece of whatever. We're finishing up our, our series on peace. Peace in an Age of Rage. And this morning I want to uh, preach a little bit from Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 9. Paul, whatever bug you have, you left it up here because my voice is starting to get weird, and it wasn't until I just got up here. Thanks a lot, Paul. He just left these fumes here, and now I've got to breathe them in. The uh, verse I'm going to read from is, is Matthew chapter 5. Oh. Verse 9. Very simple verse where the Lord says, this is in the process of a Sermon on the Mount where he's retreated from the crowds, he's gone up on this mountaintop, and now he's teaching his disciples some principles of the kingdom. And one of the principles of the kingdom that he speaks of that I want to talk on this morning is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I want to do three things this morning. I want to first of all finish up what we talked about last week, about having peace in our heart by way of seeing and experiencing the love of God. Because until you have peace in your heart, you can never be a peacemaker. And then I want to talk about what a peacemaker is not, and then I want to talk about what a peacemaker is. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for the way your presence was uh, down here uh, among this remnant and uh, the way we could sense your presence in the worship service. Where two or three are gathered, it doesn't take much of a crowd, Lord. There are you in the midst of them, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with us now as we bring forth your word. Lord God, transforming us, confronting us, maybe convicting us, strengthening us, whatever is needed, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be here to accomplish that task. Lord, I also just feel led to say this. There may be someone here or a few people here or maybe many people here that for whom this holiday season is not a peaceful time and it's not a very happy time. And Lord, as my heart goes out to them, I know your heart goes out to them, Lord, and I pray that you'd be their family and that you'd be their friend, that you'd be maybe their spouse who is not around, that you'd be the father that's no longer there or whatever it is, Lord. I pray that you'd Maybe even use what we're going to say this morning to, to accomplish that end. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, by the way, there is junior high this morning uh, in 169. So if you're a junior high person, uh, you may go to room 169. They're, they're, they're having a, a meeting there. How do you have peace in your heart? It's an important question, obviously, because until, unless we have peace in our heart, we can't think about being a peacemaker. Or in the Greek, it could be a peace bringer, one who brings peace. We talked last week about how peace for the believer, the ultimate source of peace, the kind of peace that the Lord talks about, comes by way of moving into the reality of God's unsurpassable love for us. We read from the Song of Solomon and from Isaiah and from Ephesians, and we showed there something about God's attitude towards us, something about God's love towards us. We saw how the Lord has this mother-like love for us. The love that a, a mother has for her nursing child. That's something like a small degree what God's love is for his children. And it doesn't matter very much. It doesn't matter at all, in fact, what you may be going through, how relatively good or bad your life has been and maybe still is. The ups and downs that maybe characterize your life that's inconsequential to the mother-like love that God has for us. And when we begin to experience that love, we are transformed by that love, and that's what brings peace to our life. Peace is being loved like you were made to be loved. We also saw that God loves us like a perfect husband would love his spouse. We read from the Song of Solomon, which showed us that God has for us this incredible, passionate, fiery, fervent, ravishing love. God has, the Song of Solomon tells us, a ravished heart for us. God sees us as being altogether lovely, altogether beautiful, altogether without flaw. He looks at us and he, and he, and he, he tells us that our eyes are like doves. He looks at us, the Song of Solomon says, and it gives him such a delight, such a rapture, that in the Song of Solomon, the husband says to the wife, turn away from me because I can't take it. To look into your eyes is too much for me. God has, as we said last week, from the Hebrew, a flushed face kind of love towards us. It's possible to know all of that intellectually, to have it all in your head and to believe it all, and yet still not have peace in your heart. Because it's possible to know it intellectually, to know it cerebrally, to know it doctrinally, and yet not have it as a part of your experience. It, it always amazes me, not so much anymore, though, because I've seen it so much, 
But when I talk with believers, sometimes people who have been Christians for many, many years, and I, for various reasons, will tell them to just picture the Lord Jesus in their mind and hear the Lord say to them, Do you know, Bob, I love you with an everlasting love? Do you know that you're the apple of my eye? Do you know that I delight so much in what I have made you to be that I sing over you, I dance over you, I clap my hands over you, I'm enraptured over you? Do you know that? And many, many Christians, when they try to do that, they feel uncomfortable. They feel awkward. It grinds against something in their internal psyche. It doesn't feel right. They feel embarrassed. They feel like it can't be true. They feel like they're just pretending. Now, everything I just gave you, the Lord already gave us in the Bible. The Bible says all those things about us. But somehow, when we personalize it towards us, it feels weird. The reason it feels weird, the reason it feels awkward, and the reason it feels untrue is because we have in our minds so many other voices, so many other messages based on past experiences, based on our upbringing, based on our present circumstances, based on the condemnation of the evil one who is always around condemning believers. Based on all of that, we think that it can't be true. The way we think about ourselves and the way we experience ourselves is radically different than what God says about us. And so we just, it, it doesn't feel right. And so we, we, we tend to avoid it. Many people just cringe when someone tells them they love them. It's like, eh. And when the Lord God Almighty says, I love you, it's like, I can't, I can't take that. You'll never have peace, the kind of peace that God wants to give us, the, 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 the permanent, unconditional, steadfast peace of God. You'll never have peace in your life until you can rest with what God thinks about you and rest with what God says about you and, and receive that as being true. Let me encourage, I'm going to give you two things, two, two things to do, two exercises to partake in that will help bring peace into your life. The most important one is this. Spend some time on a regular basis where you just rest in Christ, where you relax in His grace. Spend some time where you can just sit down. And the way I like to do it is I like to close my eyes and I just picture Jesus like I, I would see any of you right here this morning. And I let Jesus tell me what he's already told me in the Bible. He doesn't say anything new. He says what is old. But because he's saying it to me with my name attached to it, it's what transforms the way I think about myself. I just sit and hear the Lord say, Greg, I love you with an everlasting love. Do you know how much you mean to me? Do you know how much I care about you? That's why I died for you. That's why your name personally is engraved on the palms of my hand, as we read in Isaiah last week. I delight over you, and I see him delight over me. He says, I love you, and I can see his love in his eyes. I've got a passion for you, and I can see it there, and I can feel it there, and his arms surround me. And my job there is just to rest and just to receive it. Pour it on, Lord. I need it. Pour it on, Lord. Say it. Just keep on saying it. And bask in the love of God. And sometimes it doesn't feel quite right, because I've got other voices in my head, too. Sometimes it feels a little awkward. But just to sit and receive it, and receive it, and receive it. And let God be true and all the other voices in your mind a liar. And that's what begins to bring peace into your life. Peace is being loved. Not knowing that you're loved intellectually, but experiencing that you're loved in the way that you were created to be loved. And when I move into an experience of Christ's love for me, you know what? 
my life can be chaos all around me, but there's a peace, there's a stillness, because somehow it just doesn't matter, not in comparison to this. I can have all those IRS notices coming in the mail and all the crazy Christmas cards and I can be running short on finances for Christmas and I maybe don't know how I'm going to make ends meet and maybe my wife and I just had a squabble and maybe this is going wrong and that's going wrong and the other thing. But in the, in the, in the, in the center of my existence, there's a peace because I experienced how lovable I am to my Creator. And just knowing that is enough to bring peace. There's a second exercise that's good to do if you want to have peace in your life. And I know you do. Every person wants peace in their life. It's this. Do an honest inventory. Do an honest inventory of what actually gives you peace in your life. Be honest with yourself. What does it take for you to be peaceful in your life? Ask yourself that question. If you're like most people, it's something like this. I'm peaceful on the inside when the things in my life, the things in my external world line up right. I'm peaceful when my life is in order, when my marriage lines up right, when my kids line up right, when my finances line up right, when my house is lined up right, when my future is lined up right, then I have a little bit of peace in my life. When my act is together and things are going my way and I feel like I'm on top of things, then I've got peace in my life. The trouble is, is that if that's what gives you peace, you're not going to have a whole lot of peace in your life because in this fallen world, things don't usually line up right. Somebody say amen. Hey, you, you know what I'm talking about. It just doesn't line up very much. You can have a little temporary kind of peace here and there when things happen to fall right and things are going your way. Wonderful, good, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But that's not the kind of peace that the Lord brings. You're not going to have a whole lot of peace. If your peace is dependent on your environment, if your peace is dependent on your external world, you can't be a peacemaker. You can't be a peace bringer because you're a peace taker. You need your environment to be just such and so in order to have peace in your heart. That's a very conditional kind of peace. The Lord says this in John chapter 14, verse 27. John 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I give you. Jesus wants us to have peace. It's one of his greatest gifts. Peace I give you. But then he clarifies it. You want to know what I mean? Not as the world gives peace do I give it unto you. My peace I give unto you. The kind of peace the Lord has purchased for every believer. The kind of peace that is the right of every believer is the peace that characterizes the heart of God throughout eternity. The peace, and he says, my peace, the peace that is mine throughout eternity, I want to give to you. And that's not at all the kind of peace that the world gives. The world can give an external kind of peace. The world can give a conditional kind of peace. The, the, the world can give a peace that is based on nice circumstances, fortunate things, things going the right way. It's based on your kids being okay and your marriage being okay and your house being okay and your finances being okay. The world can give that kind of peace, but it's not really a peace. It's just good luck. But the peace that the Lord wants us to have is a peace that passes all understanding. Do an honest inventory of your life. What is your peace based on? And see, if it's based on this and that and the other thing outside of you, you'll never have the kind of unconditional peace that God wants you to have. Even when you have that kind of peace, you know what? You're nervous about it because you might lose it. Well, things are going well you know, now, but I know tomorrow they're going to fall apart. Do you ever get this feeling when things are going too good, you just know something bad's going to happen? Because life has to balance itself out. It's just kind of a law. It's, it's the yin and yang or something. But, but it's like, if things are going too good, I, I get worried because I know that now the bad side's got to come. It's got to happen. Maybe I'm just a born cynic or something, but it's true. 
The Lord wants us to have a peace that passes all understanding. Do an honest inventory, and when you find that your peace is conditioned upon things, try to withdraw it, and try to derive your peace from one source and one source only, and that is God's eternal, steadfast, passionate, ravishing love for you. And let that be the sole source of the internal peace of your life. It's nice when things go your way, but they might not. But you can still have that kind of peace in your life. Withdraw it. I have a little exercise that I do occasionally. When I'm driving to school, when I'm driving home from school, or you know, whatever I'm doing, when I'm finding a lot of pressure in my life, and I'm finding myself getting a little frazzled, a little frustrated, a little scattered, a little nervous, a little anxious, I, I, I take a passage of Scripture like Galatians 2.20. Life, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And uh, um, I, I begin to say that over and over again to myself. I, I say this, life is the love of Christ, nothing else matters. Life is the love of Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. Life is the love of Christ, nothing else matters. This is what life is, it's the love of Christ. And somehow when I, when I get my mind to line up with the truth that is in God's word, this is what the Bible means when it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get your mind renewed over and over again on the truth of God's word. And when you apply God's word and saturate your mind with it, you begin to derive the peace that God promises with it. And there's a peace that I just find myself letting go of things. You know what? It really doesn't matter. You know what? Most of the stuff we worry about, just, it's maybe important. But in the total context of things, it just doesn't matter. That's how to have peace in your life. Now, what is a peacemaker? Let me say what it's not, and let me say then what it is. I uh, talked with a, a woman a couple years ago, actually, a student. And uh, I've had a number of conversations that are quite a bit like this. This isn't atypical. She was the daughter of an alcoholic father. And she described herself, her role in this family, as being the peacemaker. And she actually thought that this was a real Christian thing that she did. Her job was to be sort of the buffer between mom and dad. Her job was to pick up the slack for what was left from her alcoholic's father's lifestyle. Her job was to keep the peace. Her job was to make amends. It was her job to smooth over things. When things were kind of getting dysfunctional, things were getting kind of crazy, things were getting hostile, she was the one who could uh, come between mom and dad and, and, and explain mom to dad and explain dad to mom and kind of say, look, it's not that bad, it'll be okay, things will get better, you know, and, and just kind of smooth over stuff. That was her job. And sometimes if it meant doing this, and this isn't at all atypical, but what she'd do to keep the family together and to keep the peace, she would deflect the anger and the animosity from her parents onto herself. She'd act out. She'd do something outlandish. She'd, 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 she'd rob a store one time. She, she actually held up a grocery store. She'd do something crazy so that their attention would be diverted on her. Not because she was a bad kid, but because her role was to keep the peace. And, it, and the only way to keep the family together is to turn mom and dad off of their own problems and deflect it onto her. So she became the scapegoat for a lot of their issues. And that's actually not too uncommon at all. Now, we would recognize that as being a pretty dysfunctional, sick idea of being a peacemaker. But you know what? I don't think our ordinary understanding of what it is to be a peacemaker is too far from that. A peacemaker. I think when most people think of a peacemaker, they think of someone kind of like this, this girl. Someone who can... You know, when things get tough, it can diffuse situations, right? Knows what to say. 
knows how to smooth things over, knows how to smile in such a way, or to tell a timely joke to kind of lighten up the situation, or how to change the subject. You know, a lot of families survive because someone in the family is good about changing the subject. Oh, let's talk about this. You know what happened the other day? I, da, 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 da. And, and you're constantly, a, a person who's good at stirring around the minefields in the family. You know, we don't want to touch this thing. A person who's good at ignoring problems, at hiding things, at stuffing things, that's a peacemaker. A peacemaker is one who keeps things looking very peaceful, even though actually there may be minefields all over, all over the place. There are peacemakers in families, and there are peacemakers in churches, and there are peacemakers in almost every kind of organization we have in society. You know, in a lot of churches, a lot of churches are run. They're tyrannized by people who have the spiritual sensitivity and maturity of a turtle, but they're there. Sometimes they're either just very immature Christians, or sometimes they're carnal people. Maybe they're not even saved, but they're into power. They like being the boss. They like running the worship committee. They like being religious. They like having this kind of stature, like the Pharisees. They enjoy that. They really get off on that. They like, you know, being looked up to. And they make decisions that are unspiritual, and they couldn't recognize a move of God if it hit them in the face. And they do things that are sometimes hurtful, and they stroke their own egos. And in these churches, there are often, many times, many sincere, honest, God-fearing, Jesus-loving people who are spiritually sensitive, and they know that what's going on in the church shouldn't be going on in the church. They know that God wants to go this direction, but the leaders are going this direction. God wants to do this, but the leaders want to do that. God wants people, God wants Jesus Christ to be glorified, but instead these people are stroking their ego, but they never say anything. They never do anything. Why? Sometimes they say, well, because Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. And, and, and that means, we sometimes think, that means you're not supposed to confront people. That means you're supposed to be nice. That means you're supposed to be gentle. That means you shouldn't bring up tense situations. And so these people never get confronted. And the kingdom of God suffers because of it. Trouble is, that, that is not peace. That is placating. That is compromise. That's calling a truce, but that is not peace. Getting your external world, whether it be your family or whether it be your church or whether it be friends, getting that to be externally looking like it's peaceful, in spite of the fact that there maybe are real issues that need to be dealt with, that is not peace. Getting people to stop screaming at one another, that's not peace. Getting people to stop hitting one another isn't peace. Getting people to... Quit having the conflicts that they have, getting them to call a truth, a truth, a ceasefire, when inside they still hate one another, that's not peace. Not in a biblical sense, not in a real sense. That's, that's, that's an external facade. That's a pretense of peace, but it's not genuine peace. In fact, that is the opposite of a biblical concept or a biblical definition of peace. That kind of peace... That external peace, that facade of peace, let's pretend like there's peace even though we know there's not, that is the surest way to make sure that Jesus' kind of peace never comes into your life. Why? Because you internalize all the anxiety and all the conflict and all the problems, you internalize it into your life. You swallow it, you stuff it, and you make it a part of your own, and you guarantee in doing that that your heart will never be at peace. You maybe will have a family that looks like it's peaceful, and maybe you'll have a church that looks like it's peaceful, but your heart is not going to be peaceful. You can have all sorts of anxiety. You're paying the price individually for the conflict that needs to take place out here, and that's not genuine peace. That's not a biblical concept of peace. 
An illusory peace, a pretense peace, a peace that is done through smoke and mirrors is not genuine peace. Which is why the Lord says, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives peace. Not as the world gives peace. The world can come up with laws and strategies and gimmicks and schemes to get people to lay down their arms. It can get people to stop screaming. It can keep people from stop murdering, maybe, but it can't get the heart to be peaceful. It can't get the heart to be loving. It can't change the insides of people. And that's why Jesus says, the peace I I I bring is not of this world. Not like the world gives do I give peace unto you. James 1.17 says this. Now, now just hear this, this message. This verse is very important. James says the wisdom of God, the wisdom that comes down from heaven, is first of all pure, then it is peaceable, and then, he says, it brings forth every good fruit. It's first of all pure, and then it is peaceful. The word pure means to be unmixed, undiluted, True, authentic, genuine. The wisdom of God, when you live your life in the wisdom of God, the first task, the first mandate, the first obligation, if you want genuine peace, is to be real. It's to be authentic. It's to be true. It's to say out loud what really is the case. Wisdom that is bought at the, at, at the price of being disingenuous is not wisdom, and it doesn't lead to real peace. Peace that is bought at the expense of truth is not genuine peace. But the wisdom of God finds its way to peace. It works towards peace, not at the expense of avoiding conflict, but through conflict. Through what is true. And now we're getting a real different picture of what it means to be a peacemaker, aren't we? Being a peacemaker, peacemaker maybe isn't about this Pollyanna kind of thing that everything's going to be all right and we're just going to get along and, hey, come on, things aren't that bad and let's not say out loud, what, you know, why'd you have to bring up that subject? You know, you know that's a, putting a stick in a hornet's nest. That's not what being a peacemaker is about. Being a peacemaker maybe has more to do with being a troublemaker than it does being a Pollyanna kind of person who avoids issues. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. That's been the theme this whole, this whole month of December. But look what he did. He went around making a lot of trouble. He confronts the Pharisees. And he goes, you hypocrites! Oh, come on, Jesus. They're not the bad guys. They're kind of nice. They tried their best. You brood of vipers! Whited sepulchers! Blind leaders of the blind! Oh, ooh, did you have to say it that way? Oh, gosh, you're going to I'm feeling tension here. I'm getting nervous. Could this be Satan? <laughs> Things are getting tense here. I don't like this. Oh, come on. Can we make a kiss make up next friends? Let's go to grandma's house. Let's do something. Now, he's a situation. Jesus says it like it is. Why does he say it? He says it because it's true. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, he says this. Don't think I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. Now, this is the Prince of Peace, the one who tells us that blessed are the peacemakers. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. What are you talking about? He didn't come to bring peace like we define peace. He's not very interested in external peace. He doesn't really care how things look like. The question is, what is real? And when it comes to being real, if it needs to be the case, Jesus will pull out the sword, the sword of truth, and he'll say things like they really are. And sometimes that's hurt, and sometimes it gets people not to like you very much, but that's reality. And you'll never have internal peace until you're willing to do that. It was the same thing with the disciples. Why were the disciples persecuted? Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted and despised for my name's sake. 
if, G, if, if the Christians were these Pollyanna kind of people that went around being nice to everybody and it's okay and, you know, and, and avoiding tough subjects and just kind of patting everyone on the back and saying, let's, let, let's be Minnesota nice, if that's what the disciples were about, who would want to persecute them? They'd get along with everybody. Instead, they were despised. They were hated. They were put to death. Why? Because they said things out loud. Like, you need to repent. Some people don't want to hear that. Are you, are, you, are you implying that I have sin in my life? I never. Yes, that's, that's, that, that's, we're not implying that. We're saying that, that point blank. Here's what, here's what you see, though. You can't do that. You can't. You will never be able to say things out loud and confront your environment, your family, your church, whoever, so long as your peace is contingent on the outside world. In other words, you need peace on the inside first if you're ever going to begin to make peace on the outside. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you can't be a peacetaker. In other words, the only way you'll ever have the strength to say out loud what needs to be said out loud, Dad, why do you drink so much? That is a very risky thing. You might get rejected. In fact, I've come to the conclusion it's impossible to speak truth and not make enemies. I've really come to that conclusion. In fact, I've gotten to the point where in my life, if someone's not mad at me, I think I'm, I must be compromising somewhere. <laughs> and I, you know, it's, it's, people are supposed to be ticked off, and I'm kind of getting used to it. And, and that's an okay thing. I don't think you can say anything significant in life and not ruffle people's feathers. It's just the way it's got to be. So, you know, you want to sue me? Get in line. You know, it's like, go ahead. But you can only do that if your peace is an internal kind of peace. It's not conditioned upon your environment. If you need things to be lined up okay, the family to be lined up okay, the job and everything else to be lined up okay, you can't possibly risk saying things out loud because now you're disrupting your own source of peace. In fact, if your peace is dependent upon that, you'll be one of these world peacemakers making sure everything's okay. Come on, let's get along. Let's just do it all right. Especially this time of year. That kind of worldly peacemaking kicks into gear around Christmas time because everyone wants things to go so nice. And so we try to smooth over all the rough edges. And I'm not indicting anyone for doing that. I do it. I fall into this little mode. I was kind of a peacemaker growing up. Believe it or not, when it came to my family, I, I was the one who kind of drew things together. I fall into that mode. But to the degree that our peace is contingent upon the world around us, we can't be peacemakers. We're peacetakers. We need it, and therefore we can't risk it. Being a peacemaker isn't about smoothing over things. It's not about hiding. It's not about stuffing. It's not about pretending. It's not about illusion. Being a peacemaker sometimes involves a whole lot of conflict. Saying things out loud. Saying what is true because it's true. So what is a peacemaker? If it's not this sort of dysfunctional Pollyanna thing, what is it? Being a peacemaker, the long and short of it is this. It is doing what the Prince of Peace does. It is doing what the Prince of Peace does. Jesus gave us the perfect example of what a peacemaker is. How does Jesus bring peace into our life? Let's ask that question. How does Jesus bring peace into our life? Well, first of all, he says the truth. He speaks truth. But in doing it, he loves us anyways. He speaks the truth, but he loves us anyways. Throughout the Gospels and throughout the Epistles, throughout all of God's Word, God does not try to paint a rosy picture of us, does He? 
God doesn't mince a lot of words. Christ doesn't mince a lot of words. The Bible says some things that are hard for us to hear. And if God was just trying to make friends and be nice, he wouldn't have said these things, but he said them because they're true. You are sinners. You need salvation. You're lost. You're sick. You need healing. You're diseased. You need a physician. He says things out loud. Not, it doesn't make us feel very good about ourselves if that's where we stop, but he says them because they're true. Christ brings peace into our life, not by avoiding issues, but by confronting them head on. But then he does something else. He says, though you're sick, though you're lost, though you're trying to send yourselves to hell, though you're diseased, you got to know that I've got this ravished heart for you. And I love you. And the reason I say that isn't to wound you or to shame you or condemn you, but to restore you and heal you. Because I love you. In spite of what is true about you, there's something else that's true, and that's what's true about me, and that is that I have a passionate, undying, fervent love for you. So much so that I'll go to the cross and die for you, that you might be made whole, that you might be saved. God's love is as fervent as is is his passion for honesty. He's as relentless in his mercy and grace as he is with his honesty. So he says what is true, but then he comes back and surrounds us with his love. We are peacemakers when we do that. Let me first say this. All this stuff about speaking the truth. I I, I talked on this about two months ago. And an issue came up in a family that was a good issue that I heard about. And that is this. You have no right to speak the truth unless your motive is love. You have no The purpose for speaking the truth is not to harm, to shame, to abuse, and to wound. Hey! I think you stink. Well, it's true. You're ugly. Man, you don't have any friends, do you? I wonder why. (laughs) Maybe it's true. But if, if your motive in saying that is just to belittle the person, to bring them down, to sort of get back, to get revenge, you have no right to say truth. The purpose for the Bible says in Ephesians 4 15, speak the truth to one another in love. In love. The purpose for saying things out loud is to free people from the things that bind them. False peace is incredible bondage. Have you been in dysfunctional families or dysfunctional other social systems like churches? It's bondage. No one can say what is true. You can't notice what is real. It's bondage. The purpose for saying things out loud is to free people from that so they might discover some genuine peace. But that presupposes love. When we have the love, then we speak the truth but then surround the people with love. A peacemaker is one who speaks truth, but then brings grace, brings forgiveness, brings love, brings peace to that situation. You're not deriving peace, you're bringing peace. The final word, though, is this. You'll never, ever, ever do that so long as you need your environment to be peaceful for you to be peaceful. Only if Christ is the source of our peace do we ever have the courage to disrupt our environment enough to say what is true. And only if Christ is the source of our peace do we ever have the kind of internal love we need to really be motivated by love. To really love mom, love dad, love sister, love brother, love the friend, maybe love the enemy, in spite of the fact that you're very, very disappointed in them. And that's true. And you say that it's true, but that doesn't hinder your love. Rather, with the love of Christ, you go towards them. The bottom line then is this. Time and time again, we come back to the same point. If we're going to be peacemakers, if we're going to have peace, Christ must be the center of our life and nothing else. Derive your peace from him. Take it then to your family, to your church, 
to your employment place and be a peacemaker. Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the peace that you can give us. And my first prayer, God, is that, that we would, all the people here, Lord, this morning, and myself included, would have that kind of peace. I know, Lord God, that this time of year, it's so easy to be unsettled in our hearts, sometimes for family reasons, sometimes for other reasons, Lord. But I pray, God, that you would constantly turn our face towards you and, and, and cause us to realize that if our very life is the love of Christ, then really nothing else does matter. And we can back off one step and release it. I pray, God, that we'd have that kind of peace. And then, Lord, with that strength that that peace brings, I pray, God, we'd be truth speakers where we go and then peacemakers where we go, loving people in spite of what is true, fueled by you having an infinite reservoir of love to those who otherwise would be unlovable to us. Let your spirit rest upon us as we go forth in this place. In your name we pray.